0: welcome back i hope however that time was spent there's some nurturance that came through and um, a little bit of ease so as i said before we'll just move right into the sit so i want to invite each of us to allow our bodies to come into a posture that feels relaxed settled and it might look like sitting for some of us our bodies might do better lying down it's totally fine uh, the benefits of zoom take care of yourself But we're inviting kind of the energetics of these ennobling teacher teachings. Yeah. There's a liberatory quality to these teachings and can our body can we embody a receptivity to these truths? It's a courageous act just to carve the time out, to sit with ourselves and see what happens. So if we have a posture that takes this seriously in a way by which I mean energetically, this is important work. A life-changing work. Locating ourselves, as Jack used to say, sort of halfway between heaven and earth with the feet connecting in, as I spoke of before, the earth's energies and also the energies of the heavens above. Taking our seats as we do as daughters of the Buddha, sitting in a lineage that extends 2600 years and within the lineage of this group over two decades uh, at the least so there's a lineage here too and just naming this as a way of availing each of us to the grander sense of things there's us here on this day the Dharma sisters that can't be with us on this day those of our Dharma sisters who have passed on and our sisters in this group that have uh, been a part of it since its inception. So again, saying all this as a way of locating ourselves in this moment, but also there's a, a lineage behind us. And for the anchor today, I'm going to invite us to play in this realm, with a sense of spaciousness. Yes, it's here, us, here, and yet. Or part of a much larger picture. So, if it's helpful to have in your mind's eye you know, the, the blue sky above, or if you imagine standing on the the beach of the ocean, looking out to that vast horizon, expansive horizon, get a sense of space. And we take our seats in that space. I often imagine us together somewhere, and I know where it is. It's a beautiful mountain meadow. And again, the sense of space that is around us, can we also feel that sense of spaciousness within that can meet and allow for all that arises? Some will be pleasant, some will be unpleasant. Okay. You can just note that. we get a little more clear the the anchor allowing ourselves to to have ourselves a, a visual of ourselves somewhere spacious could be lying on some soft grass um looking up at the blue sky on the, on the edge of a sandy beach a vast expanse of the ocean or join me in my wildflower meadow <laughs> somewhere in the mountains And allowing whatever comes through the mind just to come through. You know, like the classic teachings of the clouds moving across the blue sky. Okay, so our thoughts move through ideas we have about our thoughts, emotions that can come about our thoughts. Yeah, all of that um, chatter, the static, the machinations of the mind. Okay, we're just going to sit together And just watch curiosity withholding any need to judge or wish that it were otherwise. Again, locating ourselves in the midst of a spacious expanse and almost drinking in the exterior spaciousness that can hold, help us hold whatever we're wrestling with. might be body dukkha or a mind that's just so busy or perseverating or it might just be the light okay can it fill up the space there so the mind will do what it does generate thoughts my friend uh juliana who also teaches this class uh, says the mind generates thoughts the way the mouth generates saliva it just does what it does And the beauty of this practice is, oh, we can watch it and start flexing the muscle that says, I don't actually need to go there. I don't need to jump on that thought train or ride that cloud that's dashing across the sky. You can just stay here and watch, oh, that's interesting. Now this. think The thoughts, the feeling arise and they pass away. We undertake the training to allow ourselves to stay steady, feeling whatever the visual is, if you're on the beach or in the mountains or on the grass, feeling the groundedness, the connection to the earth while opening up to this expansiveness. Thoughts come and go. Feelings come and go. Body sensations come and go. That's how it is to be human. Okay. So we're practicing, just relaxing into this is how it is. Thoughts come and go, emotions, body sensations. Can we allow ourselves to be held again in this greater sense of spaciousness? And please remember, there's no such thing as a bad sit. We come, we take our seats, we see how it is. Please feel my appreciation that we get the chance to sit together. me to myself um i hope that sit was uh brought some ease even though it's gonna be challenging at least to have that space uh, to not have to do much other than sit with ourselves um, so i wanted to sort of stay on the theme of where where we've been the last couple of weeks and the connection and finding ease um in the face of really difficult things and um thinking about what to explore today and so reading and listening to different folks talk i um, don't this quandary of how do we meet the challenges yeah like it is hard <laughs> it's hard to be human it seems very hard now where there's so much uncertainty um in all kinds of different realms and how do we stay, have enough equanimity and actually a connection to ourselves, which I was talking about last week and <laughs> every other week before that, to be able to meet the demands of what comes. And um was listening to Rebecca Bradshaw, who uh, primarily teaches out of IMS in Barrie, uh, Massachusetts, and her linking that, um, this is sort of obvious, but I had, had sort of played out this way of The need to which we want to control um, is a sort of direct connection to the uh, level of uncertainty that we can feel. Um, And Matthew Silver was talking about sort of always feeling like it's sort of adjusting the knobs of control to kind of counteract the movement of the fact of how life moves on its own. And the uncomfortability that can come when we're constantly trying to control or if I do this, then will that happen in the machinations of the mind, like if I do x, y, and z, then maybe c d and F won't happen <laughs> well, maybe they will, maybe they won't, but part of what we can get can cause us to stay so agitated is the fight it shouldn't happen, it shouldn't be like this uh what's happening? what can I do about it? who can I blame? but all of that energy is really, really taxing I don't know one of the talks said something like um surrender is the hope of giving is releasing any hope for a different present <laughs> so sort of the, the great line of like forgiveness is the hope of giving giving up hope for a different past and surrender is like oh okay it's like this but to release that fight against how things are and I know I talk about this all the time but it feels relevant certainly in my own life and in talking with folks with this constant challenge of how do we do this when there are so many demands on our time, so much pressure. Um, and again, the sense of uncertainty that seems to be uh, somewhat palpable in the air and this radical radical shift away from, let me just bear down and control, whether it's trying to control our kids or uh, control other people in our lives or circumstances or our schedule or whatever. Um, again so much energy goes to it and often for not yeah things happen the way they happen and that line that i say all the time from john O'Donohue, uh you know may i I want to live as the river does surprised by my own unfolding and inherent in that is the sense of surrender of oh okay there is a movement to our lives and we can kind of ride it or we can put dams in place and try and uh, um corral it uh direct it And it doesn't really work. It might work in the short term. And I'm not talking here about uh, discernment or uh, just being like, okay, this is how life is sort of the doormat version of surrender. That's not what I'm talking about. Or the sense that we don't get to stand up for what we believe in and try to affect change. It's kind of pulling out the taking off rather a layer of the, the fight against how it is. So we can, have the the desire the heartfelt expression to want to stand up for folks who need help or to ally ourselves uh, with people that need help we can stand up and ally with ourselves to make changes in our life out of discernment uh, and choice responsiveness the situation is like this what's the skillful response as opposed to being so reactive like no it's just not right because this (laughs) doesn't really help us out too much and sort of the bracing it's not a very empowered place to be it's tempting or sort of the avoidance way of can it not be this way or just the kind of railing against it's not fair and none of those strategies are necessarily onward leading or really ever onward leading they just can kind of keep us stuck in a kind of place of um just kind of small and kind of can feel victimized by circumstances and and again really wanting to stress there are circumstances in which we are actually being victimized by someone or some situation so it's not surrendering into okay this terrible thing is happening i'll just give up and surrender and try to have equanimity around it that sort of would be um uh we remember say we talk about stupid compassion i think that would be like stupid equanimity so we're talking about It's more the sense of being able to bring discernment into what is actually happening and what can I actually do something about. Life happens, you know. Our Dharma sisters here have talked about like the kind of relentlessness of this happened and then this happened and then this happened and it keeps going. Yeah, right. Sometimes we're just in those times where it's like, oh my god, now this. It's like, oh, exactly. Now this. So that idea of leaning into that sense of spaciousness, the blue sky the vastness of the ocean because in leaning back into that or imagine leaning back into it one of the beautiful pieces that can come from that is i can be held in the larger context the idea that we kind of have to navigate so much on our own particularly as women we can shoulder a lot of responsibilities that can kind of pile up on our shoulders and be like okay where else can i feel support it might be support in the human realm of, of our, our dear ones, friends and family, the Sangha. Uh, but there's also can be such a gift and also, oh, there's also this holding in the larger since that is uh, what is larger that is around me. Um, let's see. Uh, the line, the vulnerability is the courageous dance of the heart. We let ourselves be touched and we let the world touch us. And I would add that that sense of the courageous dance of the heart, the dancing with life. Yeah, that this is how, like, how do we be vulnerable uh, and and courageous and open enough to see, oh yeah, this is just how it is, right? In this human realm, there's a lot of suffering. Okay, sometimes we add to it. (laughs) Sometimes we're not so much, but the adding to it is that fighting, like I don't want it, it can't be this way. Um, that kind of railing against. So how do we allow ourselves to really accept and drop into the vulnerability or in a way, the fragility of this life, this one precious life that Mary Oliver writes so beautifully about? We're vulnerable. You know, when I broke my wrist at the end of December, (laughs) I was really scared. I, I don't move in the world feeling very vulnerable, but uh it for a couple weeks it was shocking to me or noticing how it was moving i was still in uh, colorado with my sister so ice and i was really scared and it was such an interesting um rather unpleasant sensation but that's fragility you know when it happens (laughs) it doesn't necessarily happen that we have to wait till we're older when it happens but the sense of we are actually kind of fragile. okay that's built in right and kind of okay so then what but the fear that can come, like I could feel the tensing back, you know, early after my surgery, the kind of tensing, like, oh, geez. Okay. The tensing didn't actually help. <laughs> it makes me sort of more rigid, more fragile. But being able to relax into, yeah, I've, yeah, there's some fear because of the, the trauma that happened on my wrist. Okay. And being able to see it. Okay. This too. Can we make sense? For, okay. it's I, I I feel different in my body now. Yeah. <laughs> because of what I went through. And it it won't stay that way. It's impermanent. But that sort of heightened uh, uh, almost scrutiny of, am I safe? Okay, then it fades. And we all go through these times, whether it's a physical injury or the myriad of traumas that we suffer, both little T and capital T traumas. We brace against, and are we okay? Yeah, that's how the organism is wired to do. Gotta keep safe. And being able through these teachings and really understanding almost on a visceral understanding of the impermanence. Okay, given these, this is how it is. Okay, what can I relax into? Yeah. So in their, in their lives, the profound vulnerability. Yeah. So um, after talking about vulnerability by Rosemary Wattola-Trummer, I just want something I can hang my hat on, she said. But the mortarboard didn't hang on education. The government's white wig fell off. The tiara slipped from beauty. The skull cap blew off the church. No hat she hung could stay. The baseball cap fell off the firm body. Art couldn't keep the beret. Even the mesh net of the beekeeper's wide brim fell away. Fell away. It all falls away. Which is to say nothing stays. Not the dodo. Not the dino. Not the houses we live in. Not (laughs) Not our firm young skin. Not a father. Not a son. Not sunshine. Not rain. Not empires. Not cats. Not the first crushing fist of heartbreak. Not nightmares, not bruises, not hats. She let herself drift in what was left. Her head bare, her hands empty, her heart open, eyes wide. The sun stroked her shoulder. She breathed in the musky scent that arrives on the wind just before spring. Nothing was certain. She stood alone at the edge of every possible thing. No hat in hand and listened to the chickadees sing that grasping like please (laughs) can there be something that's solid no but what is solid is this very life the sound of the chickadees the earth under our feet this body yeah this is the solidity that we uh, embody relative though it might be okay this realm doesn't necessarily have anything um that will be always certain. I said this last week, like the false sense of security is the only kind there is. It's like, okay, how do we let go into it? Same author, Rosemary wattola Trauma. the medicine of surrender comes with no spoonful of sugar, no promises, no backup plans, no returns, no insurance. The medicine of surrender never tastes the way you expect. Never tastes the same next time. Seldom has the hope for effect And if it were some part of you that thought it might not be affected, that thought it might hold back, that part is most likely the first part to be flooded with the relentlessness truth of what is. Oh, surrender. The surest medicine that exists. There are infinite side effects. Wonder, freedom, rawness. It's like opening the dictionary to the word heaven or obliteration. And knowing it's the same thing. It's like playing spin the bottle with life and you French kiss whatever you get. (laughs) It's the only remedy that can help you to be whole. The only real medicine there is. (laughs) That's the great line. Like playing spin the bottle with life and you French kiss whatever you get. Right? How do we meet it? As Tara Brock always says so beautifully, you know, may this circumstance serve to awaken compassion can whatever we get some of it is going <laughs> to okay can we utilize that as a means to open our hearts to allow the vulnerability to come to the fore to serve our, our sense of awakening which is what we're after here yeah week after week you know from ajan sutito and i'm uh i will attribute this to um uh, matthew over. And it's, it's if you just were to Google it, actually all the references will be in the post that Carlita uh, uh, shares. So he writes about letting go. Um, awakening is based on the process of letting go. Letting go is about carefully revealing assumptions, biases, life messages. There's something wrong with me. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. And clearing them. You can like liken the process to a gradual descent out of the tunnel and the gridlock of your personal world into the free space of the unconditioned. It's rather like lowering oneself down a rope. You have to know how to do it. It's a matter of holding on to something you trust, even though it seems like a thin strand, and letting go a little bit and trusting the downward movement. This is the trajectory of non-engagement and abandonment. You don't exactly do that downward movement, but you set it up. And you have to go at a speed or in a manner in which you stay conscious and connected so you can integrate the experience. Otherwise, you just crash. But if you hold on too tight and the nothing releases, this process involves a relationship or a codependency between the active intentional aspect of our minds and the respective I'm sorry and the receptive feeling aspect. The first is associated with what we do, and the second is associated with what we what feel we're in the relationship between the two has to be mediated with mindfulness and wisdom but i love this image of like holding onto a rope of something you trust so then what do we trust you know from rosemary what's both, it's not our education it's not our house it's not our relationships <laughs> okay what is it and i would offer it's faith yeah and my favorite poly word sara can that can be translated as of, what do we rest our heart upon can also be translated as uh, faith, or the confidence in our ability, our capacity to meet what comes. That's trustworthy. Yeah. Sharon Salzberg, in her beautiful book, Faith, talks about three different types, uh, three stages of faith. Sort of first, the first blush of the bright faith, um, the first time maybe you had a hint of these teachings, like, oh, <laughs> this is helpful you know, where there's sort of just a delight in the possibility. We don't know much, but there's, we've gotten the taste of, oh, this is going to be helpful. And that's the sort of stage of bright faith. And we, the more we practice, uh, maybe sit retreats. (laughs) This is harder than I thought. And then sort of comes in uh, verifying faith, where we check it out, like, is this true? Is this actually helpful? And the Buddha very much said, try, check it out, come see what works. What works, stick with what doesn't work, let it go. He was very much in the, Uh, the teachings about try it on for yourself don't listen to the teachers but check it out does it work so we mature out of that kind of bright faith and like oh yes excellent um into okay wait how is this really playing in my life what's working what what serves what does feel liberatory what allows me to uh, have a greater sense of ease a sense of greater spaciousness (laughs) what doesn't right so we play in the domain of verifying faith which then leads into abiding faith where we know it in our bones to be true, <laughs> it makes me tear up. That the power of that abiding faith, where we can know it in our bones, this I know it to be true. And for each of us, it's going to be something different. But it, that pathway to the uh, abiding faith, the guardrails are going to be uh, on that pathway are going to be wisdom, compassion. A sense of curiosity, a gentleness of, well, how is it actually in this mind? What's true? What's not true? Understanding a, a lot of what the mind tells us <laughs> is not reliable. It's not true necessarily, but we can verify what's true for us by allowing a sense of congruence to come forth. Of oh, my mind is saying this. Does that resonate in the body? No. Or that when I for myself, I, I'm good at worrying. And the worrying and fear, I know how that feels in my body. I know, I There's a certain tension that can feel it in my body. Okay, not reliable. <laughs> Don't move from this place, right? Okay, so then how do we move back into a place that is step out of the tangle of fear thinking, right? To borrow from Rumi, to be able to have a sense of steadiness. What does it feel like in the body when there's calm, when there's a sense of trustworthiness in knowing what's true for us? In terms of what do we value what what are the heart qualities that can guide us so it's not sort of truth in a narrative sense it's truth in what can i rest my heart upon um. Um. I can barely ever talk about faith without reading David Wyatt's poem, Faith, Um, which is not right there. Sorry. Uh, I want to write about faith, about the way the moon rises over cold snow night after night, faithful even as it fades from fullness, slowly becoming that last curving and impossible sliver of light before the final darkness. But I have no faith myself. I refuse it even the smallest entry. Let this then, my small poem, like the new moon, slender and barely open, be the first prayer that opens me to faith. And this beautiful invitation, I believe he offers us, how do we find our own faith? What do we have faith in? What do we rest our heart upon? And if we consider back to that image of the rope, we lower ourselves down into um. Into what, really? I think in the in the image, it's letting ourselves release from what we think is going to be true—a sense of certainty. We let go of a sense that if I just get it right, if I just dial it in, if I just have the right job, partnership, a house would work, whatever mindset, then everything will be okay. Well, maybe for a minute, <laughs> for a little bit of time, but that's sort of um, a, a false place to rest our faith false place to rest our our heart, which is not to say, um, let me, I think I muddled that a little bit because I think one of the places that is so trustworthy and I think it needs to be lived in and felt and probably through a myriad of ways that our heart gets broken is to trust in the ineffable power of love. And it might be love between another. um, But what I'm talking more about is that abiding in a larger sense of connectivity to the natural world, to our own goodness, to believe that there is something larger than ourselves. There's a great book, uh, The Spiritual Life of Children by Lisa Miller, and she writes about the single most important thing parents or adults of any kind can offer to young ones is the sense that there is something larger than themselves, to believe that there is a a greater sense of connection to the world around us and that there is an offering of support. So how do we find it? How do we find and trust in that, which is greater than ourselves? I'm a big believer in the power of Sangha. That was, we come together. There's a sense of the momentum of our own group here. And indeed the Buddha taught about the triple gems taking refuge in the Buddha, the historical man. He did it. <laughs> he did it. Um, and I'm saying, if I can do it, you can do it. So taking refuge in the possibility that we can awaken, um, to become an enlightened being or just in the moment to moment. Taking refuge in the Dharma, in the truth of these teachings. And again, that's muted out by trying it on. This feels right, this doesn't. This resonates, this doesn't. This feels true, this feels true. This is helpful. Taking refuge in that truth of the Dharma. Taking refuge in the Sangha. He was very, the Buddha was very clear. You can't do this alone. (laughs) We need each other. It's hard. So we lean into the Sangha, even if the Sangha Uh, It means two hours a week on Zoom, but leaning into the energetics of all these beautiful women that come together week after week to sit together in the faith that there's something here of value. In the belief, in the hope, in the aspiration that our hearts will be touched when we come together, that hopefully we'll learn something (laughs) and that we'll have a chance to be together, have a sense of connection as we join together from all over the U.S. and often all over the world. Can we have to let, our, let ourselves rest upon this? Yeah. So, um, one more poem. The way it is. William Stafford. There is a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain about the thread. But it's hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen. People get hurt or die. You suffer. You get old. Nothing you can do can stop time's unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. So, I invite you again to to close your eyes, as we did before, and just allow your attention to come back into your body. If it's helpful to put a hand to the heart, hand to the belly, as a way of kind of uh, quite literally pulling your energy back from the screen into your own body. Allowing the feet to connect to the earth, noticing what the sit bones are connecting to. This is a way of reorienting into a more, potentially more embodied place. Oh yeah, this is how it feels when I'm in my bones. And my bones are being supported by the earth beneath me and whatever I'm sitting upon, chair, the couch, cushion. So I have certainly asked us this before, but it's been a while. What comes to mind when asked? What do you rest your heart upon? What do you rest your heart upon? And just letting whatever answers come, come. As if sort of a flower is popping out of the ground. Maybe love, friendship, generosity. Maybe beauty of the natural world. What touches you? What do you rest your heart upon? This I know to be true. I can rest my heart here. And it may take a bit. That's quite a statement to make, really. I can rest my heart here. And it may have words, it may be a visual, it may be a people. But even having that, allowing that to be a repeating question, what do I rest my heart upon? Today's answers might be different than tomorrow's. So just allowing yourself to have a gentle curiosity of if we're sort of filling up a room with what I can rest my heart upon. What shows up? What's there? Like I said, it may be one thing. It may be two. It may be many. But allowing yourself to slow down enough to really see. Oh, yeah, this. This is what I can rest my heart upon. This is where, how I, this is what gives me faith. This is what allows me to know I have the capacity to meet what comes, even when it's so hard. This is what I can relax back into. when we surrender the fight against how things are, this is what we lean back into. It's always here. We get pulled out by thinking we can control. We get pulled out because we're scared. We get pulled out because it's not going the way we want it to. Okay. And just noticing, oh yeah, that propulsion out to want to fix and change and organize control might come with a certain amount of tension, clinging, grasping, aversion, doubt, restlessness, right? It brings up the hindrances because we've moved away from the truth of our own goodness in the heart. We've moved away from trusting the heart's capacity to meet what comes. We've moved away from the heart, the knowing the heart's capacity to love, to be connected, to feel joy, Notice how the body feels when you allow yourself to feel the support of this faith, the support of, oh yeah, I can rest my heart here. Perhaps there's spaciousness, there's wonder, there's a softening, there's an openness. I'm going to stop here. Thank you so much for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.